Welcome to the Pencils and Lipstick Podcast, a weekly podcast for writers. Grab a cup of coffee, perhaps some paper and pen, and enjoy an interview with an author, a chat with a writing tool creator, perhaps a conversation with an editor or other publishing expert, as well as Kat's thoughts on writing and her own creative journey. You'll laugh, you'll cry, well, hopefully not actually cry, but you will probably learn something. And I hope you'll be inspired to write. Because as I always say, you have a story, you should write it down. This is Pencils and Lipstick. Are you tired of conjuring up fresh ways to describe a gaze, smile, or sigh in your fiction? Then you'll love the Energize Your Writing Toolkit, Cheat Sheets for Character Emotions, a 100-page printable toolkit jam-packed with more than 4,000 emotional phrases arranged into easy-to-digest lists. The toolkit was created by my friend Stacy Juba, a fiction author, freelance editor, and the founder of Shortcuts for Writers. However, this isn't just a collection of phrases. It's a system for transforming your approach to showing character emotions. Part reference book and part workbook, this system will grow with you throughout your writing journey. This toolkit includes a nonverbal communication overview, walkthrough video, workbook, cheat sheet on 10 hacks to creating characters that jump off the page, and exciting bonuses. The PDF is a resource you'll pull out again and again. Having the right tool can get the words flowing and help you to write stronger scenes faster. Get the Energize Your Writing Toolkit today. Link in the show notes. Tosca Lee is the award-winning New York Times bestselling author of The Line Between, The Progeny, Firstborn, Iscariot, The Legend of Sheba, Demon, A Memoir. Hava, The Story of Eve, and The Books of Mortals, a series with New York Times bestselling author Ted Decker. She is the recipient of two International Book Awards, Killer Nashville's Silver Falchion, ECPA Book of the Year in Fiction, and the Nebraska Book Award. Her work has finaled for the High Plains Book Award, the Library of Virginia's Reader's Choice Award, two Christie Awards, and a second ECPA Book of the Year. The Line Between was a Goodreads Choice Award semifinalist for Best Mystery Thriller of 2019. In addition to the New York Times, her books have appeared on the IndieBound bestseller list and Library Journal's Best of lists. Tosca received her BA from Smith College and lives in Nebraska with her husband, three or four children still at home, and her 160-pound German shepherd, Timber. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Pencils and Lipstick. I'm Kat Caldwell, and today I have with me author. I almost said thriller author, but she doesn't only write thrillers. Her name is Tosca Lee. Uh, Thank you for coming on the show, Tosca. You are so very welcome. Thanks for having me. Well, before we sort of get into all of your books and all the genres that you write in, can you tell everyone a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um, I live in Nebraska. Um, I Six years ago, I married a, I was a single city girl and I married a farmer and single father of four. Whoa. So (laughs) yeah, so I'm talking to you from my upstairs attic office at the farm. 
Um, and my husband is combining right now. They're harvesting. And so as soon as we get done, I'm going to go make him some lunch. Nice. And, um, and that's about it. I, I write. I am a wife. Um, we have a 160-pound German Shepherd that is probably more popular on all my social media than me. And <laughs> As it goes. <laughs> we love to just have a good time out at the funny farm, I call it. And that's that's basically my everyday life right there. Did you grow up in the city or did you grow up in the suburbs? Or the- I grew up in Lincoln, the capital. So definitely in the city. Um, and, you know, it's it's really hard not being close by a, a Trader Joe's right now. But um, I'll, I'll live. <laughs> Every now and then I go into town to stock up. To stock so, up, yes. That's yes. right. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm glad that you are adjusting. I'm sure Nebraska is beautiful. I have, I think I've driven mm-hmm. through there. It actually is. It, it is very beautiful. And parts of it you would never guess yeah. are in Nebraska. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think we have some really cool states. I'm on the East Coast now, but I grew up in Wisconsin. Oh, sure. Yeah. Try to encourage people, go to the Midwest. It's actually quite beautiful. <laughs> yes, it really is. Uh, so that's cool. Um, were you writing before 2014, before you got married? Or is that sort of your your job um, before then? Oh, yeah. I've, okay. I've been uh, writing full time since 2010 or 2011, somewhere in there. Okay. Um, wow. It's, yeah. I, it, I, it got to a point. I was a consultant with the Gallup organization and I was a leadership consultant. I traveled the world and I was trying to write and edit in between and on airplanes and in hotels. And it kind of got to a point where um, I had just accepted a new contract to write a trilogy with Ted Decker. And I was either going to have to turn that down or, or step away from my job. Because the writing demands were too great. So it was kind of, you know, the fork in the road. And um, so I I went that way. (laughs) That's pretty amazing, though. So before you were juggling a full-time job and you were writing, when you first started writing, did you get um, traditionally published? Was that something that you were seeking, like you wanted to be a full-time writer at some point? Yeah, yeah, for sure. That was always, since I... From the point when I finally made up my mind that I wanted to be a writer, um, which was in college, um, it was not the dream that I had growing up. Growing up, I wanted to be a ballerina and I devoted all my time to that. And so I had no social life. I had no, you know, I was, my summers were spent away dancing in different places. Um, but after an injury as a teenager, mm-hmm. um, I went off to college and I, I came back my freshman year. Uh, for spring break. And I was having this conversation with my dad about, you know, one of my favorite books and how a great book is like a roller coaster with twists and turns. And, and my, my dad made me a deal that day. I was supposed to spend that coming summer working as a bank teller for the second summer in a row. And I was not a good bank teller. And my dad made me a deal and he said, um, okay, Tosk, I will pay you what you would have made working at the bank this summer. If you write your first novel do it full-time like a job. And um, that was a no-brainer. So I wrote my first novel in 1989. And so ever since then, the dream was to be uh, traditionally published. We didn't have as many self-publishing options back then. (laughs) And, um, you know, so I've been at this for a while, but my first novel wasn't published until 2006 or seven. one of those, maybe. 
I don't remember which year it was, <laughs> but all those years from 1989 to 2006, you know, I was yeah. writing, writing and writing and trying. So, yeah. yeah. I think that's, that's, that's almost the way it should be. I, I'm going to get black <laughs> for that. Um, Cause there are some really incredible young writers, but I, you know, there's, there's a whole part of like honing your craft and learning more about it and putting pen to paper even if you're an avid reader, isn't always as easy, you know, and, and a lot of times when that first novel comes quickly, sometimes the second doesn't, and you still have to eat. <laughs> you still have to eat. Yeah. You learn tenacity through those years, you know, True. and you, you learn to deal with rejection and keep plugging along. Yeah. So you were in the years of, I mean, self-publishing wasn't a thing, even like I tried to, I was, very sure I was going to do this in the late nineties. And it was still looked down upon as like the thing that people do if they, if they can't uh, make it sort of thing, <laughs> and you're going to have to buy all those books. So mm-hmm. what was it like to, to only sort of have that traditionally published route and oh. the rejection and like what, and how did you find your information? I mean, we forget how easy it is these days. Oh, it's so easy these days. Um, it was slow. It was yeah. really slow because the way that you would learn how to even get an agent or the way that you would look up who the agents are is you'd have to go to the library and get the writer's market, this giant tome of a book. You'd have to get the, I forgot what it's called, the book of all the the literary agents. And you'd have mm-hmm. to look up and see who did what. And you had to do research at, at the library uh, to figure out, because we didn't have the internet, to figure out... Um, you know, which agents represented what kind of books and what authors and who was popular and who was high powered. And so it it was slow. And then when you send in your query letter, you send it in the mail. Yeah. With a self-addressed stamped envelope so they can reject you on your dime. Yes, you're saucy. (laughs) Yeah. Or they might request the whole thing and you print out the whole thing. It's a ream of paper single-sided, you put it in a Kinko's paper box and you mail that out with enough postage for them to mail it. Or you, or you say, you know, you have my permission to chuck it if you don't like it. So, you know, and you might not hear back for six weeks or three months or more, in which case you'd have to write them again and gently nudge them. And, and, you know, this, there's a reason, there's a reason it, it took me so long to get published, I think. But um, part of it was just the slowness of the, the process and the mm. mail and the waiting and the, you know, and that's that's how it was. Yeah. I mean, imagine now, like, if you look up somebody's website for an agent and, you're, oh, th- this this looks great. And then you click yeah. on their Twitter, it says, click. close the query. And you're like, wait a minute, what? <laughs> and there was nothing like that. It was just the, we are open from June to October. And you never know if they were already filled. Mm-hmm. Too bad for you if you yeah. got in there a little too late. Um, so yeah, the the youngins have no idea. It was like <laughs> the struggle. The struggle. <laughs> I was I was sending those things out from Europe, trying to like figure out the postage they would need to bring it. Oh yeah. <laughs> Only to get the rejections. I'm like no. paying for my own rejections. Anyway, yep. it's fine. Yep, that's how it was. The good old days. The good old days. It made us strong, right? <laughs> Or it wore us down. I don't know which one it is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we'll move on from that. <laughs> so what was the, the genre that you started writing in? What was what kind of caught, um, I guess, yeah. your attention and their attention? 
So it's funny because my very first novel, the one I wrote that summer, was um, an a historical, like a, an old historical, like Neolithic, you know, mm. about the people of Stonehenge. I was really interested in that. So that's where I started. And then, um, but the one that got published, my very first published one was, I would call it like um, a supernatural suspense. And it was okay. the story of a fallen angel um, telling his story to a Boston editor and their lives become enmeshed and intertwined. And Wow, um, that's cool. Yeah. So that was, um, and and I ended up entering the Christian market with that one, actually. And, and then after that, I, I started writing biblical fiction because my next book. So when they, when they asked for three books, they, oh, said, they what asked else for you, three books. Oh, yeah, wow. my, yeah. When I signed, they, they said, we want three books. What else do you have? And I, I had started just this very, very brief uh, little thing about a very old Eve, like Adam and Eve getting ready mm. to tell her life story before she dies. And I, it was only one page long, but I pulled it out and I was like, I've got this thing. And they were like, great, we'll take that and one more. And they said, I don't have one more. And they said, you'll think of something. So okay. <laughs> that's how it happened. And so I went from the, um, the first book was called Demon, a memoir, which is actually a novel to Hava, the story of Eve. Mm. And then I went on this biblical fiction track for a while and wrote Iscariot, which is the story of Judas. And then I wrote one about the Queen of Sheba. And then after that, I was like, okay, this is really heavy duty research and stuff. So I, yeah. I think to switch it up because, you know, you don't want to always like eat the same things every day. And I don't want to write the same things every day. So. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So did you purposely enter the, the Christian market or was that just sort of like where they put, they're like, you're like yeah. C.S. Lewis, so here. <laughs> yeah, there was, um, well, thanks to, you know, authors like Frank Peretti, who wrote this present darkness, you know, there was a, a real, because of the, the success of his books, which were very supernatural and spiritual and very successful in the Christian market, that kind of opened up a new, you know, way in for authors with stories like mine. Okay. And so I purposely went in there, but I got rejected by every single Christian publisher at least once before I finally landed at my publisher where I'd already been rejected like a year or two before, but they got a new editor who liked it and wanted it. So you, know. you never know. That's the, you oh never God. know. Oh, yeah. I forgot about Frank Peretti. I read all of those when I was a kid, like yeah. <laughs> snuck yeah. them into my bedroom at three in the morning. That's yeah. What, yeah. That was like, I think it's interesting somehow. I don't know. Maybe I'm just not sort of in that world right now, but it seems to like the thriller market that seemed to be, a, have been really heavy in the Christian market in the nineties. And mm. it, maybe they're, do you think they're marketing now specifically Christian or maybe I'm just not seeing it and it's, is it just as popular as it was? The thrillers? Yeah. The Christian thrillers. You know, I, I feel like I'm not seeing quite as many. I mean, I, I feel like kind of, um, I'm less, I'm less, solidly in the Christian market these days mm -hmm. because I've really um, moved into, you know, trying to straddle, you know, both worlds basically. Um, but I feel like there's a lot of, um, there's definitely suspense. I mean, I've, I've got friends who write um, thrillers and suspense in the Christian market, but you, you see a lot of women's fiction and a lot of historical fiction mm. in that market as well. 
Yeah, that's um, true. It seems to yeah. sort of be weaving back and forth a bit. Um, um, so when you left sort of the biblical, those heavy um, research books, what did you go? Did you go into thrillers? Just like non yeah, so thrillers? I started writing. Uh, I started writing the progeny. That was my my first thriller, and it was um, it was so fun. Um, I, you know, my my whole goal was to see how how far I could crank up the pace and how okay. I, I could keep keep my readers up. Um, that's my, that's my personal goal. You know, I mean, my, my goal when I started out was to get published. And then my goal was to, you know, really try to keep readers glued to the page. But, um, when I left the historical stuff, which was not permanent, um, but when I left the biblical historical stuff, my, my whole goal was to just, you know, I wanted to attempt, I wanted to tempt readers to devour the whole book in a day. Ooh, so what a good that personal is, goal. That is my goal with my suspense and thrillers. So the progeny was super fun. Um, it has a slight historical twist. It's about the modern day descendants of real life historical countess, Hungarian countess Elizabeth Bathroy, who was known as the blood countess because she was purportedly um, the most um, prolific serial killer, female serial killer of all time. All time. So um, How did you find this then. out? <laughs> we well, you know, um, I I knew about her. Oh wow! But it was a fan who wrote to me once and said, "Why don't you do a book about Elizabeth Bathory?" And I was like, uh, "More history." <laughs> and so I thought, you know, why don't I do something with you know modern day with her descendants, and we'll have some secret mm. societies and underground stuff and some you know cabals and stuff like that. So that's what I did. And oh, in cool. the writing of it, my mother, who's a lifelong genealogist. Um, informed me that I'm distantly related to Elizabeth Bathroom. Oh, no. So there was that. <laughs> Great so, timing, Mom. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was like, huh. So, but it was super fun. My mom and I went traipsing all over Croatia and Hungary and Austria oh, and fine. Italy to, you know, to the old, you know, Habsburg um, Empire areas and and uh, for research. And it was super fun. So Wow. There was a sequel called Firstborn, and then I, the I really like duologies apparently because then I did a duology called The Line Between and A Single Life, and those books both came out in 2019, and they are a pandemic duology. And so the second book came out just like it came out in September of 2019, right before COVID, right before the pandemic, yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh. That was crazy. You're the second person I've talked to who had a pandemic book come out right before the pandemic. <laughs> it's our fault. <laughs> yes, it it's our fault. <laughs> Just as you were descendant of Catherine, you somehow like, spread. <laughs> you, be careful what you write, you know? No like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we don't need any more zombie books, guys, just in case. Oh, yeah, but I do love the zombie stories. Those are pretty fun. <laughs> so how did you, are you a thriller reader? Is that something that you you like to read? Yeah. Is that how you f kind of fell into that? Um, I do like reading thrillers. I, I love reading pretty much anything. I love reading uh, YA. I love reading historical still. I love reading women's. I love reading contemporary. Um, I do love a good thriller. Um, so... Yeah. And, you know, it was just a some way to really change it up hmm. and do something different. But so. it, 
to me, it sounds like it's such a difficult thing to balance. I don't know. Maybe I should challenge mm-hmm. myself on this, but I love watching them. I like reading them. But to be able to have those threads and like to make sure the reader's not confused and you have to have, you know, the the guys that you know are bad, but they can't be cartoonishly bad, you know, and all these things sort of going together. And I don't know. To me, it sounds very complicated to do. You didn't you know, find it complicated. I- I, that's how I feel about mysteries, because I, I think, gosh, I'm not sure I could write a, a mystery, which is actually a, a form of a thriller, really. But I don't think that the threads, and I know exactly what you're talking about. I always say writing a book is like trying to braid, you know, make a braid with like 50 strands instead of three. Yes. So I, I don't think it's that different, really, from, you know, when you write like your other genres, like historical, for instance, mm. or whatever, because you're still balancing um these subplots and these other you know storylines and things still occur to you along the way that would be cool i have to plot um, okay I, I am not a pantser but i don't plot i, I don't plot 100 percent. i just need a general roadmap of where i'm going otherwise i'm really going to get lost and if i'm on a deadline i'm really going to lose time yeah and okay i've learned that the hard way I learned that the hard way with the line between when I wrote that because I that was my 10th published novel and I thought, you know, and before that I wrote, you know, some other novels too. So it's like, you know, my 12th novel overall. And um, I thought, I don't need to outline this stuff anymore. I mean, it's inherent now, right? No, it's not, you know, <laughs> not for me. So I have friends who are very successful, you know, at writing by the seat of their pants and they don't like plotting because it just kills the story for them. But for me, I've learned I, I need to stay true to what works for me. And and I learned that the hard way because I had to go back into that first draft and pull all the wires out and retold the whole thing. And it took an extra, you know, several months and delayed publication of the book and everything. So, right. I think it's it's really important to figure out how you're a writer. There's so much advice out there, right? And everyone gives the advice with good intention, plotter, pantser, whatever. But like you said, it's more about figuring out how your brain works and being a mom of four with a with a lot of land and a farmer and a husband and all that. It, you know, I forget stuff. So I am always with my phone recording things. Mm-hmm. And I have to at least think and like talk out the plot line to myself. You know, sort yeah. of like, I don't understand how to use things like plotter and like putting it on a timeline. I I can't really do that, but I do have to talk yeah. out the whole plot line to myself. Otherwise I forget stuff. Right. He was yeah. going to do something. What was he going to do? I don't remember. You know, right. Like, oh, it, it only gets back. worse the older you get. <laughs> <laughs> it really does. If I don't write it down, it is gone. You know? Yes. It yes. is gone. Yes. So, and yeah, I think that's absolutely right. And, you know, I teach on writing uh, quite a bit. And one of the things that I, I always say and always, you know, preach on is you've, you've got to find out what works best for you. Don't let other people say this worked for me. Uh, it'll work for you too, because it may not, because our brains don't work the same. Mm. You know, some people write to, I have friends who make elaborate soundtracks. Um, for each book that they write. And oh, wow. I think that's super cool, but I can't write to music. Yeah. So, you know, everybody's, you know, some people write really well in coffee shops, but if I did that, I'd be, 
I'd be eating the whole time and eavesdropping on conversations. I wouldn't get anything done. It has to be dead silent. So, you know, everybody's got their their ways. And I, I think the most important thing is honoring well, first discovering and then honoring what those are for you. Yeah, very true. Very true. And I I think for me the the music will change my mood, which will then mm-hmm. change how I'm writing, which is mm-hmm. not always great. <laughs> like, no, this is supposed to be somber, this is supposed to be happy. And anyway. Um so when did you did you write these three Sovereign Mortal and Forbidden with Ted Decker? Is that like a a how was that to write with another writer? Is, yeah, so um, every every writing duo I've ever met seems to do it ex- like totally different from mm. everybody else. And I actually just finished co-authoring another book that's going to come out next year. And that partnership was totally different okay. from the way that I wrote with Ted. So, um, you know, it was it was interesting because when you start, our, our voices were so totally different. Okay. And he had just come off writing serial killer thrillers. And I had just come off writing Hava, the story of Eve, which is on the lines of literary fiction. So it totally different. And so we had to work really hard to merge our voice into one voice. And, and, uh, you know, we joked often about the fact that it took longer to write the first book than if for the two of us to do it, than if either one of us had done it alone. And we we rewrote, rewrote, you know, kept rewriting each other, you know, just like layers of a veneer, you know, a lacquer, layers of yeah. a lacquer, you know, all the layers just to get it smooth. And and um, and I think, you know, when people write together, they have to really come into the the partnership, understanding what strengths they're bringing to the partnership and how they mm. can complement one another. And then after that, it's just a, I think, a situation of building trust. And as that trust grows, we noticed over the trilogy, that was a trilogy, that um, each book became faster and faster. And and so we, you know, we wrote the last one in somewhere between two and four months or something. I mean, it was just very quick. Yeah, very quick. And the last one is not a small novel, but, um, you know, just because the process was down by then. Right. Um, So... And was that sold already? Like you didn't really have the option to quit. My first question is like, what what made it? What made you stick to it? If it's sort of like this different, this sort of uncomfortable process to go through. Well, it's always uncomfortable to to work with somebody, you know, because you have to compromise on on mm-hmm. things. And there were things where it's like, I think we should do this. No, I think we should do this. You know, he has a bigger name than me, so he usually won. But um, <laughs> yeah, we had contracted it already. Okay. So these books had deadlines and they, they had pub dates. And um, yeah, got to get it done. Got to get it done. So, you know, you learn. It's kind of like learning how to write in the again with somebody else. So you have to start from scratch almost. Yeah. But you liked it enough to do it again for a book coming oh, yeah. out next yeah. year. Yeah. I, you know, I never say never. Um, so when my friend Marcus Brotherton approached me about working on a um, totally different World War II book, oh. that's um, about the Batan Death March. So it's about three young uh, teenage friends from Mobile, Alabama, who enlist in 1941, right before, before Pearl Harbor. Um, and they're shipped off to the Philippines 
And then Pearl Harbor happens, war breaks out uh, within, you know, right away in the Philippines, right after that. And um, they are fighting for months. And then the largest uh, American surrender happens over there and they become POWs for years. And so it's a survival story and it's a, a story of friendship. Anyway, so Marcus was like, hey, you know, want to do this? And I was like, sounds good. So um, I'm glad. I'm glad that I'm glad that I did, because I, I think this is a it's a chapter of history. A lot of people haven't heard of. I hadn't heard of it, the Batam Death March. And um, it's an important story to tell. Yeah. I, I mean, World War II has come back in the mainstream right which is oh gosh there's so many world war ii books right no. but they're all in europe which is interesting and there was yeah, a, we were it, in two very <laughs> heavy on the european theater though i will say um i've got three friends who just did um a book also set in Batian about the nurses um mm. that were involved in that war that's uh, Susan Meister, Ariel Law, Ariel Lawhon, and uh, Christina McMorris um, wrote that one. Three writers writing together. Okay. So that I I'm wondering how what their process was like when they yeah. did that. But, um, they're all wonderful writers and, and very wonderful people. And um, I think that book's coming out very soon. I'm really excited for it. Okay. So. so maybe we'll get a little bit more. I I think that that theater is a little more complicated. You know, mm. it's it's easy in the Europe the European theater to be like good versus evil because it's mm. kind of obvious, you know, but like the, the Japanese theater or the Pacific theater, I guess is what we call it. It's like, it's just sort of like humans in war. Mm. <laughs> we just make these decisions and then there's repercussions on the, the citizens. There was definitely right? a lot going on. A yeah. lot. Yeah. yeah. And, and a lot happened into after. a lot of that kind of, uh, you know, how do you find what is the most ethical decision, you know? Right. And yeah, but you know, that's war for you too. So true. Absolutely. <laughs> but that's an interesting book. So when does that come out? May, uh, May 2nd next year. So, okay. Yeah. Um, is there a way? Of, up. Yeah, yeah. No kidding. So th that's traditionally published, correct? Yeah. Like, are all your books traditionally published? Yes. Okay. So yeah. what is it like? If you're traditionally published and the book is done, coming up to book launch. So like in the indie world, it's kind of all on the author. But what do you have to do as a traditionally published author? Do you get to sit back and relax or is there a sort of... No. <laughs> no. Never. No. I, I think these days, and I've had many discussions with my, you know, many of my author friends on this. You know, I think even if you're traditionally published, you have to hustle like you're an indie author. Okay. So you may... You may have, um, if you're fortunate, you may have a publisher who is willing to put some money into marketing or some effort into publicity. Um, and if you are, then you're fortunate. And, oh, okay. um, you know, for me, I like to take suggestions to my publisher and say, you know, can you be sure to send the press release to here, here and here in addition to your regular list? Um, I like to take marketing suggestions. I I like to fire up my street team and, you know, see what, how many arcs I can get them so that I can get them going. And, um, yeah. And, you know, in between books, a personal publicist myself. Okay. Who's been with me now for several years. And so I, I continue to, to work on marketing and public. 
So, and the next one's not until 2023. So I purposely, you know, continue to hack away at that stuff all the time. Okay. So in between um, writing and marketing and sort of getting those things up, how, what do you think your time is split into? You know, it's so much easier to just jump on social media or, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm going to take this opportunity to host this Facebook page or this readers group, or, you know, there are times when my time is a hundred percent focused on marketing and publicity. Okay. And, you know, in between projects, if I'm really working on a project hard, you know, it might be 90, 10, because, mm. you know, you still have to keep that hum of stuff going. Right. Um, but if I'm really working hard, you know, for weeks or a couple months or a few months at a time, but in between, it's a lot of, and actually my first two books, Demon and Hava, um, I've just received the rights back to. Okay. And so I'm going to be really re-releasing them myself. So now I will have the chance to, you know, dive in and indie publish those. And I'm really excited, yeah. you know, to get to push the buttons myself and to yeah. change the price if I want to and not have to go to a publisher and say, you know, I think you, I think you overpriced this, you know, yeah. you know whatever. So I'm really, really stoked about that. Yeah. And the, what I love about, books is that they don't ever really go out of style. And so if you can get your rights back, you can just relaunch it. And there's thousands of people out there who haven't read your book yet. And it's like a new book to them, you know, and you can just keep doing that. Yeah. That'll be fun. Yeah. I'm really, we're getting all new cover art and I'm going to throw in some formerly deleted chapters from Hava, the story of Eve, which used to be bonus content, but now it's going to go in there and um, just really excited. Yeah, that'll be fun. Well, that's wonderful. I'm glad that we get all these sort of options um, these days. But so as a, as a traditionally published author, then anybody looking to be traditionally published these days, you would recommend that they letting them know that it, the hustle is pretty much the same. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. I think the only thing is with you guys, your deadlines are imposed by the publishers. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> you actually have yeah, to. You know, that's, and I, I kind of need that personally because, um, you know, I, I've missed several deadlines in the past or had to push them due to different things. And um, I, if I were completely and published, I don't know if I'd have 12 books out, honestly. Really? Uh, 11 or how many, many it is. Yeah. I, I, or a 12th one coming. I, yeah. So, there's, a, there's good and bad, right? <laughs> yeah, it's like long nights, some really long nights trying to hit that deadline. But um, for me, that's been a good, a good thing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, with your arc um, teams, have you found it difficult to to be switching genres like that, like the historical into the thriller, into back, mm-hmm. I guess, into historical? I, um, you know, I've got some pretty fabulous readers and. And I, I hear from them all the time. They're like, oh, Hava's my favorite. Or, you know, your book about Iscariot, Judas Iscariot was my favorite. Or The Line Between, my pandemic one. That's my favorite one. And so they they all have their favorites. And, um, and they're all different. And, you know, they've really just been a really intrepid group and, and willing to kind of go wherever. I'm, I'm like, okay, come on, guys. We're going to go on a new adventure. And they're like, you know, they pack up their gear and they go and they, they're, they've always been awesome that way. Okay. 
So <laughs> maybe it's just like gathering the the people who like who read like you do, who just read wide. And that's... yeah, I think so. And I, you know, I'm fortunate enough to to have some readers who, you know, they definitely have their preferences, but who are willing to, you know, if I come out of left field with something like, you know, World War II book, which I've never done before, you know, I I think that I think they will embrace it and and jump on the ride. So yeah, that's cool. I hope they will. That's so. cool. Yeah. So note to traditionally published authors, you still need a newsletter and an ARC team, right? <laughs> oh, you got it. I hate to say it. And, you know, I I like to romanticize what it might have been like being an author in the 70s or the 80s, maybe the 80s, you know, where everything's done by mail. You know, we talked about how long it took and how it was forever and all that stuff, but you didn't have all this junk on the sides, the, the noise of social media and, you know, and authors, I think are really scrambling, trying to figure out, should I be on TikTok? Should I be doing this? Should I, do I need to make reels? You know, do I need to cut out all this time from my writing day or my personal life to, right. to try to master this stuff? And just think back in the eighties where you, you, you get fan letters in the mail. <laughs> you know, and, but that said, I I have been particularly grateful this last couple of years during the pandemic mm-hmm. for social media and the ability to spend time with my readers. We we um we spent over 60 some nights every night consecutively in a row where I'd jump on live and I read I read three whole whole books of mine to oh, them. Wow. A cool. chapter or two at, at every single night. And we got to spend time together. And so I was really grateful um, for that. Yeah. Because I really like my readers and I like spending time with them. So that's the upside. And that's um, that's and the reward. To find that yeah. connection. That's true. To have that connection. Yeah. Day to day, it can feel like a lot. <laughs> you yeah. Know? Like, and I always feel like I'm running behind people. <laughs> you know, like, I'm trying. I'm coming. I'm I haven't posted in forever, but I, I know. Today, uh, I was scrolling through my my pictures, going, "Do I have anything that would yes. make it halfway decent, interesting?" You know, I'm still alive. You know, like because it's been a while, and you know, a few weeks ago we had COVID and and all this stuff, and I didn't post anything forever because there was nothing interesting. <laughs> so, it was like, yes, yeah. I know. As, even as writers, we can feel like there's nothing happening in my life, guys. Is there such a thing there's as throwback Tuesday? <laughs> I don't feel clever today. In fact, I feel right. kind of stupid, and right. I'm not going to have anything cool. Yes, yeah. yes, and. <laughs> Our art is not very fun to make little reels of, you know, I, I f- like I'm jealous of the ceramics people and the painters, right? I like get mesmerized by their little things going around and around. I'm like, yeah, that's, I can't do that with my art. <laughs> it's so boring to watch me stare at a it's screen. Like, yeah, it's, that's true. I've <laughs> tried to make it interesting at different angles and I'm like, this is just lame. I'm just not going to do this anymore. Yeah. So what is, what is on your plate now between, uh, we're going into like the busiest season. Do you, do you have time to write in the fall with all the, your family things going on and a book coming out? Yeah, I, um, I have to, I'm going to have to, because I I really need to work on this new project. Um, But I I am also trying to re-release Hava by year's end and, and early next year. In January, I've got a short story 
short, it's 11,000 words, short story coming out in an anthology um, that's edited by Catherine Coulter. So I will be promoting that because it, it is also to, uh, it's all women thriller writers Ooh. and the proceeds of a portion of the proceeds go to benefit breast cancer research. Oh, fun. So, what is that I, anthology going to be called? It's in January and I, I can't remember what it's called. <laughs> All right. Well. I have not seen the, the final PDF yet, but it's coming up. Um, but that one's kind of close to my heart because one of my sisters is battling breast cancer right now. So right. I'll be promoting that one. But in between, you know, definitely writing and um, I got a new uh, medieval thriller. So going back in history now, finally. Very um, cool. So you're like combining history and thrillers. Yeah. Why not? Right. Why? <laughs> I'm, I'm addicted to the pacing. So I really don't want to slow back down too much. Yeah. But, so do you come up with these or do you, do you have to like, do you have to pitch that like a new one every single time or does the publisher expect you to come up with one a year? How does that sort of work? Well, I was with Simon & Schuster for a long time. So all of my books to date are with Simon & Schuster. But my new book is coming out um, from a publisher, um, an imprint called Ravel. And so, um, and that I, that was a one book contract. So this new one, I I will be pitching. Okay. So I don't know where it's going to land. But I think for me, in order to pitch it, I think I'm going to have to write the bulk of it. So that's... Yeah. Um, what I'm, I need to get that done so I can keep the pipeline filled going. So yeah, yeah. yeah. I I think some newer authors don't understand or don't know that a lot of times. Um, I mean, you got your first contract was three books, right? But sometimes after that, you it sometimes the agent moves on or the editor yeah. moves on, and you have to yeah. repitch it. And you're like actors; you have to keep selling. You your do. Books. I mean, if you if you have like a three year, I've had a four book deal before too, where they'll they'll say, okay, uh, you know, I say, here's my idea for this book and this next book, and they'll say, okay, plus three more, and then you do have to pitch it to your your um, publisher and say, okay, you know, the last time I did that, I went in, I went to New York, I met with my publisher, and I took a list of ten ideas. Oh wow! And they were like, "Oh, really cool! I like this one and this one. I think you should combine them." And that became the line between, actually, oh, okay. in single light, the sequel, um, because I had two books left in that contract. But after that, it was like, well, I had this book I'd been working on with Marcus Brotherton, and it was done because I wrote it in between some other stuff. And so it was like, we've got this whole thing. So what now shall we do with this? Yes, yeah. yeah. Pitched it to this other publisher, and boom. Oh, very cool. That's just, that's still another like line of work, though. You know, like pitching and oh. and selling it. Like you, at so least you not... don't have to send it in the mail with a self-addressed stamped <laughs> envelope. I mean, you know, sending that off to the you know the team that there just felt like a breeze. You know, it was like especially when like with prices of mailing although I have to say like when I w used to go into Kinko's trying to sell my first book I was like yes it's a book <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> this yep. isn't just like nothing okay yeah. <laughs> this is a book this is a book yeah just so that was know. me at the UPS place yeah, <laughs> yeah I don't know yeah. why I was just so proud of it anyway <laughs> So you have all these different things going on. Do you feel like as a writer, do you like writing every single day? Is that you have to do something now? You know, I know you're supposed to or whatever, but you know, I don't write every single day. 
I don't, if I'm in between projects, I may not be writing, but if I'm writing, that's probably about all I'm doing, you know? Mm. So there's that 90, 10 where like I'm, I'm writing and then I might, you know, throw something on social media or something just to keep, keep things from dying there, you know, but um, if I'm writing, I'm, I'm writing. I mean, I I don't, I don't wash my hair. (laughs) (laughs) No. The last, when I finished a single light, the sequel to the line between, I, I climbed into bed in the morning because I, I always seem to finish in the morning, got into bed next to my husband. I said, I'm done. I finished. He was like, that's great, honey. Can you, will you bathe now? <laughs> so it's like, when I'm in it, it's like, I don't have time for that. So, And you, you married after you already had like these writer habits, right? So there oh, yeah. was no hope for him to like... <laughs> change the mold no idea what he was getting into no (laughs) like it'll be fine she's so cute she's up there writing (laughs) yeah he doesn't eat when you write he no I I eat but I but washing my hair and all that stuff I don't care about you know I'll wear the same thing for three days in a row I I don't care about that I'm definitely not doing my makeup or anything so you're just in the zone I like that. I like that. I think I should change my family's point of view. <laughs> Mama's in the zone. This is so. How how long do you think about a, a book and the plot of a book before you get into that writing zone? Mm. Years. Okay. Years. I've got ideas right now that I've been carrying around for years. When I wrote Iscariot, the book about Judas, I carried the first line around with me for about three years and I knew the first line and then with the progeny too I knew what I knew what the first line would be I just didn't know exactly what the rest of that first part would be but I knew the first line and you're just sort of thinking about it until you so at what point do you realize that you have enough to start writing um never because (laughs) I you know i I don't start with, a, you know, I'm not one of those people that gets struck by lightning or has a dream or what my dreams are like weird acid trips. I mean, I, I don't know how people like get books out of dreams. So I, I, I don't have that. I, I enter a book with a premise. Okay. Like, you know, uh, what if the descendants of Elizabeth Bathroy are alive today and, um, Carrying on her weird serial killer. You know what? They're alive today. Okay. So, or, you know, the premise might be the Queen of Sheba. Okay. Mm. I'm going to write a book about her. Or Eve. Okay. I'm going to write a book about her. And that's all I've got. So, and then you I, sort of have I got to nothing. <laughs> and then I have to start plotting it. And then I start making notes and I brainstorm. Okay. And when I get enough of a, it's not an outline, it's just a list of ideas and events, mostly in order. Then I start. Okay. Okay. So you, you don't need to have like the climax or how you're going to end it or anything like that. You just oh, have to have no. something. No, that's I don't know any of that stuff. And actually, when I write my duologies, I write the first book and I haven't plotted the second book. So you so, are kind of a pantser. You're not well, a I'm, I'm not a hybrid. I think. Yeah, you're a hybrid. I mean, because every time I, I'm, I've written two duologies and I get to the end of the first one and I take a breather. And then I gear up to write the second one and I'm like, oh crap, you know, like, cause I wrote myself into a corner and how am I going to get out of this now? And every time I'm like, if I, if I was smarter about this, I would have plotted out both books at the same time, but I'm too lazy or too undisciplined or something. So, or maybe they would end up being too contrived. You never know, Could you be. know, cause I bet you're in a corner either way. Like if you plot yourself into a corner, you're still in that You corner. still have to plot your way out. You know, and yeah. so maybe that's what sort of 
makes the book more interesting is you as the writer have to figure out, okay, let's start digging. Which is excruciating. <laughs> but um, but it's my, my, for the my husband is a really good brainstormer though, luckily. Oh, good. So, good. Yeah. yeah. Yes. See, as I tell my listeners all the time, we shouldn't be doing this alone. You, act, you yeah. at least need somebody to brainstorm with. Oh, you, you at least need that. You need people. You need, you need a tribe. You need, you need friends. You need people for the journey. I, I'm a big believer in that. I, I teach on that all the time. Yeah. Well, we are definitely in agreement on that. The, the other thing I wanted to ask you about is as you've moved from like Christian fiction into not really Christian fiction and not sort of like, at least not specifically, right? So have you found like, are those two different reading groups or like, how did they, you know, accept that when you sort of moved or mm -hmm. and how do you manage that marketing wise? Yeah, it's really interesting to, you know, these days I've got kind of one foot in each world. Um, and I, these days I write, I write books that will, I hope, appeal to my mainstream readers and to my Christian readers. And the people, you know, there are, when it comes to the Christian market, I think there's two basic kind of, kinds of readers. There's the kind that only reads Christian fiction. Mm. And they, um, they go to the Christian market for clean reads, meaning no gratuitous sex, no or explicit sex, no, no gratuitous violence, no swearing, you know, things like that. Mm -hmm. um, and they read solely in that market because that's, that's the kind of clean read they want. Mm -hmm. um, but there's also readers of the, of the, of Christian books who also read widely in the mainstream market as well. So I try to, I try to write books that will appeal to both. Right, right. So you're not specifically looking for Christian tropes or anything like that. It's just no. Do no. you have like a Christian, like a inspirational theme at all, or is that just um, not really something you're thinking about? I would as you say write I it? do. Um, it's it's important for me to to have themes that are inspirational mm. or redemptive. Mm. Um, it's important to me to write characters that can inspire. Right. So, yeah. But, you know, I, I don't like, I, I, I try to steer away from, from certain trips. I definitely don't, don't ever want to preach or anything like that. That's just, it's not my style. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, and that would yeah. definitely put you more in the, in the Christian section, right? Yeah. The <laughs> Christian fiction has, you know, evolved over the decades for sure. But I, you know, I, I just really want to tell a good story mm -hmm. that people can feel satisfied at the end of and maybe miss a little bit when they close the, the back cover. And um, that will make them glad they spent their money on it and their time in that world. And that will make them feel that, you know, they were well entertained and they were glad for that. And somehow it added to their life. If I If I can do that and keep them up all night which is my other big goal, then, you know, I feel like I've done my job. Yeah. I think you need a t-shirt that says, my <laughs> goal is every time somebody writes or, you know, writes to me or whatever and says, you know, I called in sick to work because of this or whatever, I secretly high five myself. Yes. You should have like a running tab on your wall. There. Like a little notch in my belt or whatever. Yeah. In yes. my mind, I have that. So I like that. I like that. I think this is a great goal for every author to have. Keep them up at night. That's definitely going to make the pace go faster on your book. 
Uh, so where can people find you? Make sure that you're still alive, even though when you're in the in the zone writing and find your books. Yeah. Um, so my books are wherever books are sold. Um, my website is toscalee.com, T-O-S-C-A-L-E-E.com. Um, I'm on Instagram. I'm on Facebook. I'm on TikTok. <laughs> I don't do the stuff. I just post pictures and videos and I'm on Twitter. Okay. So. Perfect. You can find me. I'm out there. Yes. And if they w- ever want to be part of your um, ARC or the, your newsletter, I assume you go to your website. Yeah. Go to my website. Um, you can write to me there and you can sign up for my newsletter there. So it's, it's all there. My calendar is there. My, all my teaching and appearances and all that stuff. Perfect. And we will have the links in the show notes, of course. So whatever social media you're on, you can find Tuscaly there and you can go to her website. We'll have it in the show notes. Well, thank you so much for coming and talking to us today. Absolutely. It was a ball. I appreciate it. So thank you. Hey, you're still listening. Since you are, could you do me a favor and head over to the app that you're listening to this episode on and hit the subscribe button and then rate and review the show? It would really help the Pencils and Lipstick podcast get out into the world. And if you're enjoying the podcast, well, then there might be more people out there who would enjoy it as well. If you want to find out more about me, you can head over to catcaldwell.com. I have my story over there, my books, my interactive journals, my one-on-one coaching information, and information on my creative writing community membership group. If you're looking to write a book or you are a writer and you just want to find out more about how to write, how to publish, how to format, how to market, and all the things that go into being an author these days, check out the membership group. There is a 14 free day trial that you can try it out, get into the masterminds, find out all the goodies that we are talking about in the group. I would love to see you there.